0: Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Hey there, it's Richard Grund. I had to go back to the canned intro because, as you can hear from my voice, I'm a little under the weather. I'm actually doing my Froggy uh, impersonation from the Little Rascals. How many out there still remember Froggy? I know I'm aging myself. But rather than forcing you to listen to this for another 48, no, 58 minutes... Um, I've been led to post a teaching I did a couple of years ago. And actually, it wasn't what I was going to post. I was working on something else and cleaning it up. And after spending about 20 minutes doing that, the Lord said, that's not what I want. So I went through uh, some stuff, excuse me, and uh, this is what he wants. And it turns out after listening to it and cleaning it up and making it ready for tonight, I realize it sets up next week, so I want you to sit back and listen, and I could have just put up something and played it and gotten set in front of a TV, but it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do this with you. I wanted to be praying for you, and then when it's done, um, we'll pray together. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to do this. We thank you for your children each and every one of my brothers and sisters out there for the family of God. I know sometimes we make it a cliche, but that's what we are. We're one church, not many denominations, not some splintered, uh, broken personality, but one, one body, one family, one mind, one heart, one soul, one spirit under you. You are the great shepherd. You are the great I am. You are everything, and we love you. So we ask, Lord, that you would touch us, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, prepare our minds, bless and protect the technology. Let this word go forth and do what you desire it to do. I pray for everyone listening, whether live or um, archived and downloaded, however they listen to it, I pray that you touch them, spirit, that you envelop them, that you Reach in deep into their heart and their mind and change them and use them and make them what you need them to be. So we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah and we cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. So Lord, have your way with us. Do what you will. And we pray all these things in Yeshua's name, and if you agree with me, say Amen. And um, just so that you know, it's going to sound like it starts in the middle of a thought, and it actually does. So don't don't be surprised. Here comes the shofar. lessons are proprietary information except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. A section of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, an exegetical examination of every New Testament reference to the Spirit of God. The book of Acts gives the historical account of the fulfillment Of the promises of our Lord as to the other comforter, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came down to earth. That historical day marks the birthday of the church. After this great event, we see him present with his people as well as upon them and in them. He filled the Lord's servants, he guided them, fitted them, gave them power, and sustained them in trials and in suffering in the affairs of the gathered community representing the church we trace his activities he is the administrator of the church over 50 times he's mentioned in acts so that we might call this book the book of the acts of the holy spirit as it as it is a historical book we do not find any doctrines concerning the spirit of god but we discover in its practical illustrations of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit found elsewhere in the New Testament. Everything the Lord promised the Holy Spirit would be for his disciples is seen fulfilled. I think that's what makes the book of Acts so powerful to me. It's a testimony, a historical account of what they did during that period of time to shake the world the way they did. I'm one of those people I like to read, I like to study, but I really like testimonies. I really like real-life examples of what it is I'm trying to do. I'm not a big fan of eggheads. I'm not a big fan of over-intellectualizing anything. I found that some of the smartest people have no experience about what they talk about. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit builds a church. He inspires a community. And this community, connected by the Spirit, is fueled into growth and action. And everything the book of Acts Church did was inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. And I sincerely believe that religious tradition, man-made tradition, man-made corruption set in almost immediately and the church tried to fight back. It fought back for almost 300 years before the enemy found a way to shut it all down. But the one thing about the apostles in their examples was that they worked together with the Holy Spirit to get the job done. They were in the world, but they were definitely not of the world. And they didn't spend their time trying to fit in. So the Greek word for world is cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. And it referred to the heavens and the earth as created by our Heavenly Father. And of course, when he created it, it was good. But through the evil influence of the fallen and man's rebellious, inherently sinful nature, that all changed. And then over time, it got worse. It got so bad that he flooded the whole earth and killed everybody, but eight people, Noah and his family. And it started over. But the thoughts and the intent of the heart of men were always towards evil. And I see that so much today when I watch the news and I see the depravity of this world and what the media promotes as acceptable is not. This world needs a savior. It still does. So when we look at John chapter 3 and we looked at starting with verse 19, that the condemnation of the world is this. The world has been condemned because light came into the world and mankind loved darkness rather than that light because they, their deeds were evil. They didn't want it to be seen and they didn't want to be told that their deeds were evil because everyone practicing evil hates the light, hates the exposure, won't come near the light lest their actions be exposed. The world is controlled by darkness. You can give me all the theology you want, but the God of this world is Satan. The rulers of this world are the fallen. And we have been placed here as an occupying army to do a job that we have not done. It's controlled by darkness. Doesn't understand the light, can't comprehend the light, tries to resist it, but really can't. The world is dead and it needs life. And yet, it hates the one who can save it because the world is under the dominion of Hasatan Satan, who will one day be judged. I experienced that this week on social media. I was on Instagram, and an actor on there made a comment. He had posted a picture of him kissing another man, Not, and he's not gay. It was an award ceremony. And then he attached this to the picture, that I'm thankful to God that I have free will and live in a a world that allows me the free will to do what I want. And he went on as if God had given him this ability to do what he was doing. And I simply piggybacked off of his comment, probably should have left it alone, but couldn't do it. And my comment was, it was, after all, free will in the Garden of Eden that got us into this mess in the first place just saying. Well, he never responded, but the vile, offensive attacks that I took from other people about that comment weren't surprising, but they just simply spoke to me of a world that does not want to be told that free will is not a license to sin, that there is a God, and that the mess we're in is because Adam and Eve made a choice based on that free will. See, we've been called into the world to bring a message of God's love, but also to tell the truth about him. I didn't say anything judgmental. I didn't condemn anybody. I didn't point out anybody's sin, even though people said I did. It was the way they took it because they were under conviction. And at first I thought about going back and deleting the comment. I said, you know what? There were a couple other people that stood up for me and said, yeah, you're right. And I thought, we have been called to tell the truth. And the truth is, This is a dark, dead world, and sin does reign. And it's all sin, not any one sin in particular. And that if I don't say something when I could have said something, then I'm the one who's wrong. And I'm not talking about being a Bible thumper or attacking people or doing all that, but just pointing out the obvious. It's the old joke, I use it a lot. Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Doctor says don't do this. It's the same thing with the mess in people's lives, the dysfunction. Some people are just drama magnets. No matter what you say to them, how you counsel them, there's always going to be drama in their life. And the enemy knows that and will gladly push as much drama in their direction as he possibly can. At some point, we have to accept that the world hates us. John 15, starting verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, the Ruach, HaKadosh, whom I shall send to you from my Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, if he is abiding in us, if we are born again, names written in the Lamb's book of life, if we have been touched by the Holy Spirit, then therefore the Spirit of truth should proceed from us in love, bearing both the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We should expect that the world not only doesn't want it, but will hate us for it. See, I can't tell you to do anything if I don't tell you the truth. The truth is the world doesn't want what we have, but we have to offer it anyway. See, the Lord knew this, and when he prayed to the Father later on in John 17, he says, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. We've been sent into the world. We've been sent into the darkness. We've been sent into the enemy's camp. Just like crossing the Jordan into the promised land. They were entering the land of the giants. They were entering the land of the fallen, the land of the Nephilim, and they were bringing God's promises with them. We bring more than just his promises. We bring his inherent abiding presence of his Holy Spirit, spirit of truth, spirit of power, spirit of grace and mercy and might. And the Lord knew that. That's why he prayed for them. Later on, he says, I do not pray for these alone in John 17:20. I also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about us. So as you go out there, which is what I'm hoping you're doing with everything that you're learning, that you're applying it, there is no parchment, there are no plaques, there's no awards, there's nothing that you're going to get from this other than the ability to be prepared for what's coming, to have the power, the love, and the presence of God, the compassion in your heart to go out there and do something with it. But understand that the world's going to hate you. The Lord predicted it. The world doesn't like being told that they're wrong. They don't like being reprimanded. They don't like to have their evil actions exposed. The darkness doesn't want the light. The world and those in the world and the leaders of it and the fall they're blind. They're absolutely, completely, utterly blind, and the blind lead the blind into a ditch. You look at Second Corinthians four. Their minds, who the minds of the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, when you go out in the sun here in Florida, the summer sun, some people burn easily, and they they have an umbrella, they have something to block the sunlight. Well, the enemy has created all of these umbrellas, all of these covers to block the sun, S O N light. It doesn't want it. It will stop you from doing it. It'll pass laws. It'll it'll gather you up. It'll kill you. The other reason the world hates us is because we don't belong here. This isn't our home. And it's at war with those of us who believe in Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God, the only begotten son of the living God. 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world I should say born again it overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith it's not natural faith it's born again faith it's faith from above the world is naturally has a hatred or an enmity towards God as its creator James 4.4, 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, hatred with God? starts out by calling us adulterers and adulteresses who do this. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, you can't be a friend of this world. You can't be a friend of the way the world does things. And the church has allowed worldliness and worldly thinking to seep into and to corrupt the church. This world hates our ways. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The world doesn't want to hear that. They hate us for that. That's why we're called to live separate from it, and they hate us for that. It's ignorant of the truth of the gospel, and it hates us for telling the truth. And it is completely, utterly ignorant of God. Remember what he said, John 15, 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me and yet having said all that having given you all these different reasons for why the world hates you in mark 16:15 he says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he who believes and is baptized will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned and these signs will follow those who believe In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, by no means hurt them, they'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And after he said that, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, they went out, preached everywhere, and he was working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs and wonders. Go. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. That doesn't mean get a stage and a pulpit and a tent and some a PA system. No, tell the truth. People just want to know. I want to know why you're happy. I want to know why your marriage is restored. I want to know why you have faith. How do you have faith in a God that you cannot see? Some of the people that went on and on and on about my comment about the garden, and you don't honestly believe in that book of fiction that that really is a God and blah. And I was going to respond to each one. The Lord said, leave it alone. Only one person I did respond. He got a little out of hand. And I simply said, look, you won't understand anything that I have to tell you because of your prejudice and how you feel about the topic. So I'm not even going to bother. Which set off some other people. He never even responded. Could I have given the fact about the veracity of the Bible and about the fact that science has proven that all the DNA in the world traces back to one man and one woman? Yeah, I could have done that. I could have posted those links, but I'm smart enough to realize that they're so blind that their minds have been blinded that they'll never hear what I have to say. So in love, I left it alone. I planted the seed. Somebody else may come along and say something. But folks, we cannot give in to the world. We we are, we are called, Romans 12, two, this is the Amplified, do not be conformed to the world, to this age, fashioned after, adapted to its external superficial custom, but be transformed, be changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by the new ideals and the new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves... What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you? We, we can't. We can't fall victim to it. But we are. The books that are being sold, the stuff I read, I go, uh, my, my everyday response is you must read a different book than I do. I take it literally. I also believe that the eternal God was smart enough to write a book that transcended time. But yet, I see people twist it. I see people say, well, it's not contemporary enough. We have to adapt it. No, got a little carried away. Um, Colossians 2, starting verse 6, As you have therefore received Messiah, even Yeshua the Lord. So walk, regulate your lives, and conduct yourselves in union with and conformity to him have the roots of your being firmly and deeply planted in him fixed and founded in him pushed said grounded being continually built up in him becoming increasingly more conformed confirmed and established in the faith it takes time just as you were taught abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving see to it that no one carries you off as spoil and makes you yourselves captured by his so-called philosophy, and intellectualism, and vain deceit, idle fantasies, and just plain nonsense. Following a human tradition, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions, following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe, disregarding the teachings of the Messiah. For in him the whole fullness of the deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression to the divine nature. We're being deceived through philosophy and empty deceit, the traditions of men, the basic principles of the world, and they are not of the Lord. We should be confirmed, conformed, and presenting Messiah alone. Not philosophies, not traditions of Jews or Gentiles or denominations, uh, you know, you know, I like to play around with words. Well, I have an opinion a about denominations. I believe they've become abominations. They save people into their denomination, into their church, into the cult of personality around their pastor, and it has very little to do with the living God and the cross of Messiah. That's just my humble but most accurate opinion. We're caught up in all these other things instead of the simplicity of the gospel and who he is. That Greek word philosophia it represents principles traditions things that are contrary to the gospel it's what the metaphysics of plato came from the love and the pursuit of wisdom the investigation of truth and nature which has seeped its way into the church the gospel's simple folks for god so loved the world from genesis to revelation it's a love story it's a restoration of a family but the false teachers in the colossian church had combined the philosophies of the world with the gospel. They have mixed oil and water together, and they kept serving it, trying to make it work, and eventually just watered down the gospel enough to make everything they wanted to fit, fit. And that's where we get to the social gospel, and we see it in the church again today. If you remember when we talked about the the revivals, the awakenings, One of the Great Awakenings was the social gospel. It was a religious movement that arose during the second half of the 19th century. It basically lasted from 1870 to 1920. And ministers, predominantly Protestant ministers, began to tie salvation to good works, and those works were social works. They advocated a kingdom of God as being a social kingdom, that individual salvation also required the applications of charity and justice in society. It, it made it about works. It took the simplicity of the gospel to a place it was never meant to go. And the way they presented it was a partial truth. They argued that people must emulate the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And I see that. I see well meaning people saying, well, I should do this and I should do that. And then they quote Mahatma Gandhi or they quote the Dalai Lama, and I just want to jump through the screen and grab them. You cannot mix the two together. First of all, he's the jealous God. You can't promote multiple religions. But I understand what they've done. They've been suckered by the social gospel. They believe that to honor God, people must put aside their own earthly desires and help the needy. Well, we're supposed to, but we do it out of love. We do it out of love for him and with the love of the Holy Spirit, and we do it based upon ourselves. We're not calling for a government or a community or laws or legislation, but that's what they did. The social the social gospel really took hold of the Presbyterian church, so much so that the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humanity... Included social things, shelter and nurture, and and all these other things, and left out that the the cross, left out um, sin, left out the fact that the kingdom of heaven is not of this world. And during the early decades of the nineteenth century, that second great awakening, the social gospel, swept the nation. I believe it's doing it again. Whereas the first great awakening was based predominantly on redeeming the souls of individual sinners, on salvation. The second great awakening, the social gospel, focused on both the souls of the individual and social problems, drinking, prostitution, slavery. Somewhere, man decided that to solve the sin problem, we needed to go to the world. We needed legislation. We needed laws. We needed rules. And so the Second Great Awakening became a, um, a seedbed, if you will, for social reform. That's where we got the temperance movement and the abolition movement. We know how that worked out. didn't stop anything. Matter of fact, it made it grow. The focus on social problems influenced many things. I believe it helped influence both the Civil War and what took place afterward. Post-Civil War ministers like Washington, Gladden, became like the father of the social gospel and they did it to push back against capitalism that was arising in the late 19th century didn't do anything did it folks it had no effect on the world and justifiably so they were disgusted with poverty and the quality of uh, the low quality of living in the slums and they provided a religious rationale to address the concerns and they hoped that by changing public health measures and enforcing schooling and uh changing the morality of their lives things would begin to improve but it didn't oh yeah they made some good things they crusaded against the 12-hour day for workers and you know during the 1930s Much of what they presented became part of the New Deal with FDR. Didn't do any good, did it? We're still there today. It's worse than it's ever been before. And I'm watching the church and so-called believers responding just as the leaders of the social gospel did, thinking that the solution to a worldly problem is the world. One of the main leaders, along with Gladden, of the social gospel was a man named Walter Rauschenbusch, a Baptist theologian. He preached against the evils of capitalism and big business. He actually preached that individualism means tyranny. What he was preaching was socialism. But he believed that the social gospel was the answer. He believed that a form of Christian socialism was the answer. K. Richard Niebuhr, in his 1988 book, The Kingdom of God in America, criticized the liberal social gospel. He described its message as a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ or a Messiah without a cross. I see that in the church today. The emerging church is preaching a similar gospel. The social gospel blames sin on societal structures rather than the human nature. In a 2001 Georgetown article, Kyle Potter wrote about the social gospel theology. He stated that they believed individuals could not leave a life of sin until they were freed from the social and economic situation that drove them to sin in the first place. They tied the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth with the social improvement of earthly society. A-millennialists believe that they're going to usher in the return of the Messiah when they take over the kingdoms of this world, the seven kingdoms. Folks, be careful what you promote and what you believe, the seven mountains of influence. It doesn't line up with the gospel as presented by the book of Acts Church. What many believe today and what they believed then is individual salvation was secondary to social reform. Is that biblical? No, it's not. The biblical concept of sin means I need a savior. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to what? To salvation. Not to social reform. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first. And also for the Greek, for the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This gospel of righteousness, which he himself ascribed, is revealed both through faith leading to faith, that the man through his faith is just and upright shall live and live by faith. And that happens how? Through social reform? No. It happens through salvation. For God so loved the world, that's how we get back to love. For God so loved the world. He didn't send him here to for social reform. He didn't send him here for new laws and politics. The Sadducees tried to trick Messiah into getting involved in politics and he would never do it. The answer is not in politics. I'm not going to go down this road. I could go on a rant here, but I don't care who's in the White House. I only care who sits on the white throne of judgment. I know man is flawed. I know the whole political system is flawed. I know it's theater and we're the audience. But salvation is the key. If we love God, if we love the Father, if we love the Son, if we love the Holy Spirit, if we love our neighbor as ourself, then we would want them to be saved. Salvation is deliverance from danger. It's victory over the enemies of the cross. It's healing to our bodies. It's the forgiveness of sin. If you've confessed with your mouth, Adonai Yeshua, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, I've talked about spiritual warfare, I've talked about deliverance, I've talked about many things in dealing with how to pull down strongholds and deal with the kingdom of darkness. And i have come to the conclusion the biggest way to destroy the kingdom of darkness is to get people saved is to plunder the kingdom to teach them who they are in messiah who their daddy is get them filled with the holy spirit and then do it again salvation is freedom from prison it's deliverance from captivity it's deliverance from god's wrath and the only way salvation from sin comes is by confession it's not by a social gospel it's not by a social plan it's not by laws and 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 ordinances and all these other things if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness John first John one nine but the fact is the world doesn't want to talk about sin oh don't tell me what I'm doing's wrong that's against the law I'll have you arrested salvation is grace. Through faith, unmerited favor through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's right there in the word, Ephesians two, eight and nine. Salvation is the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of truth, therefore it can't be done without the Holy Spirit. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Everything I'm telling you is in the Word. Everything we need to know is in the Word. Why do I need a social gospel? It's all right there. All I have to do is pick up my Bible and read it. I don't have to memorize it. I don't have to know chapter and verse. I don't even have to know the Hebrew and the Greek. I just do that to help you understand what's being said. But the fact is, it's all right there. 2 Corinthians seven ten for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I realized I needed a savior. I was sorrowful about the condition of my life. I was sorrowful for what I had done to my family. I did not like the choices that I had made who'd made me just like my own father who had walked out of me. I'd become the very thing that I hated, which is what we will always do when we try to solve our problems outside God. We become what we hate. Salvation came by faith in his blood. I took a blood sacrifice. It took a payment of blood. For God presented Yeshua as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Yeshua sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Yeshua, Romans 3, 25 and 26. I I don't see that in the social gospel, do you? Salvation is by faith in his name, because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not any other name of any other world religion, of any other great leader. I I don't care how compassionate they are. I don't care how many great things they've done for the world. There is no other name. So tell me, brothers and sisters, why are some of you out there dancing with those names? Why are you reading their books? I've begun to walk away and step away from brothers and sisters who are wandering down roads, who don't want to hear what I have to say, don't want to hear what the Word has to say. They want to dance with the devil. They want to be a part of the world. But the fact is, we were told not to do that. Because there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way of death, Proverbs fourteen twelve. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, with, with, without the the presence of the Holy Spirit, all these worldly programs, all these well-intentioned plans and, and teachings and all these things I see some reading are fatally flawed because they're not from him. They may quote him. They may mention him. They may run alongside the word, but they are not the word. So don't come to me with your problems and your troubles and your questions, the same questions I've been hearing from some for decades, if you won't open the Bible, if you won't figure it out for yourself, if you won't dust it off, flip the pages over, and figure out what does he say about what you need to know. And the history of the social gospel is this, that in nearly every case... A sincere attempt by believers to do the Word will result in what they want to do. But see, they believe that if they attempt as Christians to do the things for the world that they see right, it'll benefit humanity. But how do we benefit humanity if we don't get them saved, if we don't get them healed, we don't get them delivered? He did not give us a commission to fix the problems of the world. He told us to go do what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You want to fix the problems of the world, change people. You can't change programs. You can't change cities. You can't change laws. You cannot legislate morality. Hasn't worked yet. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Colossians 3.2 We are citizens of heaven. We're our Lord Adonai Yeshua, Lives and we are what we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. He brings it under his control. We don't do it to him, we don't fix everything and then hand it back to him. Come on, folks, stop believing the lie. Stop believing the false theology and philosophy that's been presented by men and women who are con men, snake oil salesmen. Don't love the world or anything of the world. Anyone loves the world? The love of the Father is not in them. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world because of the God of this world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But those of us who do the will of God will abide forever. The world is passing away, folks. It's passing away. Let me leave you with this. Luke 10. A certain lawyer rose to try and test and tempt Yeshua, saying, Teacher, what am I to do to inherit everlasting life, that is, to partake of eternal salvation in Messiah's kingdom? And Yeshua said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Yeshua said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live, you will enjoy an active, blessed life, endless life in the kingdom of God. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. There it is. Choose love. Choose love for him. Choose his love for us. Choose his love for humanity to go tell them the truth. And the rest of it will be chosen for you by the Holy Spirit. And the rest of it will be chosen for you by the Holy Spirit. There's one quote in this that continues to resonate with me, and then I'm going to pray with you, and we'll cut this a little short the one from H. Richard Niebuhr in his 1988 book, The Kingdom of God in America, that the social gospel, the one we hear every day on the news, the one we hear from politicians, is a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Messiah, Christ without a cross. The world's become a show like Oprah, You win, and you win, and look under your seat, and everybody gets a gift, and nobody suffers, and that's not the truth. This is the fallen world, and until the Lord comes back, we have to do our job. We have to choose truth and love and tell them about the Lord, not about a denomination, not about a church building, not about a group of people, not about a pastor, preacher, teacher, prophet, false, or otherwise. We have to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. He is the answer to their problem. He's the answer to their sin. He's the answer to everything. It all starts there. It starts at the cross and takes them to the empty tomb and to the upper room and then into the family of God. Father, I pray deeply from my heart, been here praying, believing for your children to find their way out of religion and into relationship, out of the false teachings and the deceptions and all the things that the snake has so cleverly done so they can choose you, they can choose love, they can choose the Holy Spirit And walk in the spirit and the power thereof and take that gospel out into the world, into the darkness, shining the light, leading people to freedom. Lord, you paid the price. You did it all. And then you handed it off to us and said, here, finish the job for me. Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. Help us to finish this race. Help us to do everything we need to do so that at the end we will know that it is done. For him it was finished and that it will be done and we will live and reign forever in paradise with him. And I ask this in the name above all names, the only name that matters, Jesus, Yeshua. Amen. I pray this blessed you, I pray it stirred you, I pray it opened up your mind and your heart for you to be conscious of the deception that's out there and to do something about it. We'll be back next week with the final part of Behave Like a Believer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.